Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's good, Internet? It's April 7th, 2023, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 556. I am your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Patrick Lepic. Hello, I gotta turn off this heater. Keep going. And our producer, Ricardo Contreras. It's gonna hit 75 today in New York. Yeah, I think you have the heat that we got (laughs) earlier this week. We had a 77 day, and then, don't worry, it's back down to... 50, yeah. <laughs> See, I wish I wish I could be more excited about like the 77 degree day, except that like that means it's going to be like 82 uh, inside my building like immediately. No. Uh, so it is the like it's 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 nice outside, but where you end up having to spend a lot of your day to work, it's immediately like, well, I don't know how to control this temperature. Uh, so I'm just going to sit here uh, and be sweltering. Anyway. Uh, Patrick, I want to jump right into this because I saw I saw people chatting about this the the other day, and I'm I'm eager to know more and get into this. Having had that big discussion about the questionable fate of PSVR two, how that's going, you know, another kind of fizzling, uh, you know, peripheral project by Sony. Uh, there's a rumor going around that Sony wants to touch that hot stove again with a, another peripheral device. Yeah, there's a, a report out of uh, Insider Gaming, uh, Tom Henderson, who has uh, been pretty reliable on uh, things especially related to, I believe, Call of Duty. Um, I can't necessarily speak to the track record on Sony hardware announcements, nor can I speak to this authoritatively personally um, based on uh, people I've spoken with. Uh, but, you know, it has been backed up by uh, Giant Bomb's uh, Jeff Grubb, uh, who has uh, sort of corroborated this broader idea that Sony is working on some sort of new handheld and the sort of collective uh, sort of agreed r- rumors, reports, however you want to categorize them, is that it is not not something that would be a, a Vita 2 or a new uh, a PSP, but is in fact uh, kind of following a trend that we are seeing in the wake of things like the Steam Deck, which is a uh, either cloud or remote play focused device. Um, like currently you can... From your phone or your iPad or from your computer, you can uh, play a game that is uh, on your, you know, PlayStation 4, 5. I don't know if that goes as far back as PlayStation 3. It must, I guess, if the PSP probably had uh, some of that stuff. But it is, you know, not new to PlayStation, but it would be new uh, for them to be launching a handheld focused on the idea of, hey, uh, do you want to play your PlayStation game somewhere other than in your office or in your living room? And you don't want to buy – oh, what's the one that's really good? There's a couple of these that like you know, glom onto your your uh, your phone. Uh, the Backbone mm-hmm. is like the collectively uh, – I, I collect, I've used it. It's excellent. Um, I used it to play uh, a number of uh, like visual novel and slower focus games. 
uh, on my on my phone. It kind of just like gloms onto your your device and gives you a, a native interface and uh, to to kind of uh, get around uh, and kind of play these things streamed from your your localized device. Uh, and we've seen a bunch of uh, they're having like actual Steam Deck imitators, uh, but then there also have been ones that are just hey, there are a lot of these cloud services. This is just a little display with decent feeling controls that are going to tap into GeForce Now and uh, Xbox streaming and et cetera. So this would kind of follow in line uh, with that device and not necessarily be another device that Nintendo or Sony would have to produce more games for, which would probably be an error because <laughs> that was a huge thing that ended up impacting the Vita quite a bit. Now, the idea, of course, is, is this is going to tie on to the PS5. And, you know, this is something I've lost track of, but... Obviously, it's been a very successful console consistently, like, you know, s- selling out. But anytime I hear, like, you know, you're limiting the potential pool of customers to people who already own this really expensive uh, piece of hardware, you know, I start, I immediately start to wonder, like, is that a great idea right now? Obviously, it's a different situation with the PSVR, PSVR 2, because, like, it is an equally expensive piece of hardware that they're trying to sell that has, like, maybe more uh, fairly limited use cases and a limited slate of games, and it does depend on that. But I do kind of wonder, like, if if this is, you know, primarily going to be selling itself on the strength of, uh, you know, the PS5 and what it can, like, how it can help you, like, change your relationship to it. Uh, like, I kind of, like, does that make sense at this point? Uh, is is the, has, it, has, has the sales been good enough that you're, you're talking about, like, probably a huge potential pool of customers that would legitimately shell out for something like this? Well, I think that a different way of looking at it is, and this would actually, you know, we don't know what Sony's internal expectations are for the PSVR 2, right? And yeah. so even though it's very easy to frame the projected sales uh, or uh, of the PSVR 2 that we talked on the previous podcast as seeming disappointing relative to... Um, what might seem like a, I don't know, you know, pulled out of your ass, uh, impressive number. If you look at the PSVR two, if you, if this, if we, you know, assume that this device is real, no, it would not be necessarily like it is capped. It is soft capped by, uh, how many PS fives have been sold, right? Like you are not selling this to people who are not existing PlayStation owners, but you know, there are other companies like look at an Apple. Um, and now this is at a scale that is much bigger than what the PlayStation five would be, but there is a healthy industry, a healthy market in, selling expensive add-ons to an ecosystem that you are already invested in. And there is definitely would be a through line between, hey, you like your PlayStation 5. Do you want to do more things with it? Okay, well, we've got this VR headset. Oh, would you like to enjoy this PS5 somewhere else in your house in a really easy way and not have to deal with your phone and it's, you forgot to charge the battery? Like, it's easy to see that that pitch and then it doesn't have to send sell tens of millions of copies. It's just, you know, my guess is a piece of plastic that, you know, has a good Wi-Fi yeah. and sell. Ch- you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to downplay like that. It's like cost five dollars to produce, but it's it's much different to produce a uh, device that is running things natively than it is just being a servicing platform for the host machine, which is the PS5, right? Like that's right. one of the downsides of the PSVR is that it doesn't have any onboard computing, right? That is not how that handle the the Quest or other wireless devices work. Like the games run natively on. The headset, the PSVR relies on the PS5. In this case, it would be relying on the PlayStation 5 unless they untether that to some degree to a broader cloud output um, in which you would just have to be on your local network um, and you could, or any network, and you could be playing games. It's easy to imagine them broadening that out, but it's also easy to imagine 
looking at the PSVR 2 that look, they just want to lock you further in to this specific ecosystem. And hey, look, it's it the prices are being driven down awfully fast on producing a little device like this. I was I was yeah, curious that's... if there was uh any specific did they say that it's only PS5 like remote playable because in theory you could probably still do that to a PS4 too and that's a larger that's a much larger, you know, install base already. Uh, they, at least according to the uh, Insider Gamer report, which I can I can read from, says, Codename the Q-Lite, the next PlayStation handheld, is the next piece of Sony hardware that aims to be yet another piece of hardware that requires the PlayStation 5. Insider mm. Gaming understands that the Q-Lite is not a cloud streaming device, but instead uses remote play with the PlayStation 5, a feature the console giant's been pushing these past couple of weeks. As right. far as the console's physical features, early prototypes show the console will look a lot like a PlayStation 5 controller, but with a massive 8-inch LCD touchscreen in the center. The device sports adaptive triggers for haptic feedback. It will include what you expect from a handheld, volume buttons, speakers, an audio input jack, etc. The reason I would suspect that it would latch itself to the PS5 is because Sony made a bet that was boosted by... COVID and supply chain issues, which was, hey, we're going to do a bridge. We're going to we're going to have games running on PS4 and PS5. Mm-hmm. And that that's going to happen probably longer than they expected because of the way COVID impacted, especially like big budget game development. But you can start to see not just hints, but explicit uh, moves away from, uh, you know, a new God of War running on PS4 and PS5. Horizon, uh, uh Forbidden West, it's DLC, Burning Skies, or something along those lines. It's coming out very soon, and that does not run on PlayStation 4. That is a PlayStation 5 exclusive mm. DLC for a game that, that ran, ran on both, on both <laughs> platforms. And there have been Wild. reports from another of folks, a number of folks like uh, Jeff Grubb and, and kind of folks in the, that orbit have been suggesting that, that Sony is preparing to do something of a, like, hey, what is the second act of the PlayStation 5? Like, mm-hmm. there are going to be some, like, big announcements, and you could imagine things like this being tied to it as like, hey, you loved your PlayStation 5. You can finally go buy a PlayStation. You can Your friends can buy a PlayStation 5. You don't have to hand out in a dis- hang out in a Discord channel in order to get one. Um, but what else can you do with this thing? Um, because they have been devices, and this is true of the Xbox and, and the PlayStation, that, you know, have had some good games, but I don't know if they've truly felt like next generation devices that is a that's a tough bar to hit as like technology has just reached a point where we're just not having those same sorts of leaps but i do think we are finally getting in a position with the star fields of the world with i imagine spider-man uh two which is supposed to be coming out uh, this fall the games are going to start really taking advantage of that hardware to to some degree and i can imagine hardware announcements like this being like and here's how everything orbits around it so how many fake AI renders of this hardware do we think we can look forward to over the <laughs> over the coming months as people uh, try to do one fake leak after another? Can they do that? I haven't because that, that you're right. Like so in the in the past, there have been the famous artist renditions, right, where you mm-hmm. get uh, folks to you get like an artist to take a description or maybe something is taken off the supply chain, like a, like a, like a model. Um, and that has turned into something. I don't know. I have not seen, this could be new, like waypoint decides to get controversial. And we are uh, partnering with, uh, mid journey to produce. <laughs> no, like, is, no, show me the Q light. <laughs> it's not just that though. It's so it's, uh, it's just something on my mind because, uh, a very good poster who works in like design and product design and UX, uh, Chapel Ellison, uh, 
like posted last week about how much harder she suspects doing historical design research is about to become because now so often the keywords you would use to search like consumer product devices from, you know, the thirties, the forties, the fifties, uh, you will find littered in there fake products that is, is someone's like AI rendering project. Uh, and so like now you have to look much harder at figuring out what is legit out there. And I just imagine it tells the- like what is the what is like because, like, you know, what is the thing that a lot of the, the AI uh, they have trouble with like fingers, right? And mouths like that is like the tell. Like what is the equivalent figured, tell? Where, they like, figured out they figured out the fingers. They with, did. Yeah. The teeth. Is the teeth still a problem? <laughs> I think I don't, I'm not 100 percent sure on the teeth, but I know someone has, has shown me a picture. It's like they figured it out. They did it. They did the fingers finally. Damn. Damn. All right. Take easy, another an one easy off tell is gone. <laughs> this um apparently like it still is reasonably easy to if you work in the space and you're like a professional, there's it's still kind of easy to tell certain like qualities of a render, uh especially an AI render versus like product photography. But you know, for the layperson, uh, you know, there's certain like I've seen some examples that I'm like if you told me that, like, yeah, this is a radio from the 40s, I'd be like, damn, they had radios like that? That's awesome. <laughs> so and many it's just people, not real. So many people wanted to believe that the, that the Pope was uh, fucking swaggy. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> the, yeah, I feel like that was a real inflection point. Was, like, what are the, you know, like, I said, I mean, the, I, uh, the, good, the good enough inflection point right, where right. it's enough to produce a cultural moment regardless of whether or not it's true. And it's all for fun, right? Like, because mm-hmm. especially, like, I don't know that like the Pope, that Pope specifically like has been seen like wearing some weird, th- like it was within <laughs> the realm of possibility that like, sure, I don't know. Why not? Um, and, and also there's a certain amount of like, just kind of disbelief that goes along with it. Like, I don't care if it's real. Like it's funny. Um, yeah. It's like exists along that meme spectrum. There's yeah, just enough. I feel like there's just enough like acceptance of certain like digital artifacting in like, you know, Phones, uh, phone, uh, phone cameras aren't great, or like even just like, oh, that's that file has been copied enough times that I see the like compression artifact to start to happen mm-hmm. on the internet. That like high quality, like yeah. it doesn't need to be super high quality to be convincing, right? Like actually, if it's a little shittier looking, it's a little more convincing, which is kind of mm-hmm. terrifying because like it's just like you don't even have to try that hard or like, you know, that looks like, that looks like what an underfunded yeah. archival institution yes. would like post <laughs> as like, we took photos and we, but we did it. We saved on the pixels. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we didn't, we didn't want to give you the full, the, the, the full Monty. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, I, I'm curious to see what the device ends up being. And to be fair, like, you know, when MK and I were having our brief, uh, war over ps5 rights uh when she was just like drinking deeply of elden ring uh (laughs) the remote stuff just to a computer desktop from the ps5 was Mm -hmm. really really impressive yeah well you were in the Um, room right like you were as close so my history with it yeah yeah like if you are not like not obstructed by walls you have like essentially a line of sight with the device it does pretty amazing things even for games that would require you know some level of you know like not maybe not quite a fighting game but right like you could probably get away with an elden ring or something like that if you are um like in in a space like it gets trickier you know i I, you know like houses and apartments are crapshoots on like 
what has been built here? Like, what are these walls made of? Like, what, like, <laughs> you know, your, it, how is your Wi-Fi between walls is going to give you, give you a good sense of how are these remote play devices? Like, they're not yeah. any, any more special, right? Like, there are times where I have, despite the fact that I could remote play my Xbox, I have done the cloud-based stuff instead because it is better for me to just connect to a cloud instance than it is to connect yeah. to the goddamn Xbox that's a floor below because certain times of the day, it's hard to tell. Like there are times where it's worked. It works the best, frankly. Mm-hmm. And I guess to me, this is not surprising when my entire family is asleep, when like the internet is just quieter. And I don't know if that is related to a Comcast thing plus like devices in the house are a little bit, I have no idea what, but like at like 11 o'clock on the couch, I could be upstairs and it would beam just fine. But like on a Saturday at two o'clock, sometimes I would have issues where like this doesn't like, this isn't even worth bothering with. And so I don't know how much a dedicated device would improve that. My guess is not much. I think that is going to be much more tightly wound to your individual circumstances, but I bet it feels better than even a backbone or any of these things that, you know, go on to your to your phone or tablet. Patrick, I think you should become a thermostat dad for internet usage. Yeah. <laughs> I think you like just like, you know, weekend morning, just imagine, oh, and the stories your kids will tell about you in years to come, where it's just like, you know, it's a weekend morning and you just come downstairs and be like, look at the speed speeds I'm getting on my PlayStation handheld. I need all of you off the internet. This is daddy's work time. <laughs> I uh, I gave up the thermostat thing with the second kid. I was a like, hey, this can be 60, you know, like in the winter and stuff like that. It's like going to be 68 during the day. And then we're going to come bring it down to like 66, 65. And then there was just at some point I saw my wife just going, just manually going and changing it. <laughs> it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to do this quiet like war anymore. Like little elf. The, mon- the money that I am saving is not worth the like qu- the quiet war I am engaging with my with my wife and over our second child. And so I just fine. I can just can stay at 68 during the winter and then we'll switch it when it gets warm in the spring and summer. And uh, I guess so you no, don't I- want a bigger house in 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's. I- I- I'm curious whether or not this. um they're hoping to go like the full remote route. I feel like I can see this working in a place that's far further integrated than the United States, at least, right? Like, I mean, they're based in Japan. That makes sense. There's more broadband available more widely there. Um, but I feel like it might lose a little bit of like its um, like selling point here where like you either have to have a device that has like a, its own cell plan, which, you know, like that's what Apple's basically done with the iPad, right? It's like you can get a cell plan specifically for your iPad. So you are always connected and able to use it wherever you want, which could be a route to go or just like, you know, you kind of insert. They tried with the Vita, the- right? The Vita was famously right. laughed at. And I was there when it occurred, when they announced, you know, their partnership with, AT&T, which everyone like groaned over because they, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I, my, I think I know the steam deck is a portable, but I don't, I don't know what the stats are. Mm-hmm. I know what my stats are, sure. which is that it broadly stays in my house. It is what it is, is a device to make gaming more convenient in the place that I already live. Right. And so it would not shock. I mean, I'm sure whenever promo video they, they pitch for this, we'll have people on a rooftop, like, let's right. play Destiny. Up here. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, 
I, I'm imagining the like the biggest use case for this is just, hey, like you have a PS5 already in one room. You shouldn't have to, you know, do what I'm doing now, which is like lug it between, mm-hmm. you know, upstairs and downstairs. Like this device takes care of it for you. Like you can just flip this on. And if you're just trying to log in to play with your friends, you know, spend an hour in Diablo, like you can just do that on the couch. And so I I don't know if it'll have a cell plan. I think that's an open because that makes the device more expensive to put right. a cell chip in it. And I don't know how many between the ubiquity of Wi-Fi at whatever coffee shop you go to between um, but is we that have a Wi-Fi? cell phone. If you just want to just tether, <laughs> just tether it to your just tether it to your cell phone. If you if you really need it wherever you're going. Sure. Um, I mean, just the, the fact that there are fewer and fewer, if any, plans left that are unlimited. I feel like that's going to be a huge data suck, and that might be like yeah, it's fair. The actual limiting factor, where like a specific plan just for that, that maybe was unlimited data, like maybe they figure out a special deal or some shit. Well, I mean, it's, but like, and that's why I think that's why I think yeah. the cell part stuff may not be right, right, like critical to its pitch because it'll make it would make it just as another thing to the device or maybe you sell a, you know one that has it and doesn't right i think that's that's what the I believe. that's did. how the vita worked right like there was was that one did it have a cell enabled one and a not i can't remember but like that's how the ipads are sold right yeah. like where there yeah. is a cell chip in one and a and a and, and not in the other and they're slightly one. yeah yeah but at that point like do you, do you really need to be producing two i just don't think i think right. the use case of using 5g or whatever to stream a game from a PS5 5G is like G fucking yeah fake. I, get, I do get it occasionally. I can't tell a goddamn <laughs> no, difference. No, like, there's I think no, sometimes like, it works worse. Honestly, <laughs> well, it is because five G operates. There's like two kinds of five G, right? Like there's the ones that go through buildings. Yeah, and then there's the one that is like the I'm bungling the technical, but like one is faster and one is slower. The one that penetrates more is slower, slower. and like it's not <laughs> it, it's so the, the, <sighs> I think my understanding about the the five G thing is. 5G is this really complicated mesh of different unused frequencies uh, that were or controversially they were being used uh, by like weather, uh, you know, weather satellites and uh, weather (laughs) radars. But Uh, so like there's kind of like real and fake 5G uh, in places where it's like been fully implemented. Uh, But like the like. There's a section of bandwidth where I think they like call it 5G effectively, but at that point you're just like it's it's just a, a normal uh, section of bandwidth, same as like any other mm-hmm. uh, cell phone plan, but where you get the, the full thing in place, it's able to sort of frequency hop uh, like crazy to be hyper efficient uh, going to like small slices of the spectrum uh, to find like faster speeds. Uh, mm-hmm. So like that's, that's kind of what I think my understanding of like how 5g is working is it's just like a massively sophisticated uh like almost uh like traffic cop like solution to wireless broadband and but like the nature of some of these frequencies is also that they have different ranges and so you know there there's going to be places where it's not implemented as well it is like but it like it is apparently pretty transformative but i don't think i've encountered like the real deal either um well, no that's not true well also and also what are you going to use if, i mean that's like that's at a certain point for what i use a phone outside of my house for there are very few use cases in which i need to be able to download multiple terabytes of data like at a fast speed Just like until the fall when the bears are good <laughs> 
I need Big a stream. Gosh, I need my speed. I need that. I need that uh, look, non-existent gonna, 4K gonna, stream coming. Yeah, if you're gonna mirror it up into, uh, I don't know, the local uh, shop's big widescreen. That's true. That's true. I'm gonna need all the bandwidth when you know I, I, <laughs> when I install that TV next to my inflatable hot tub uh, outside oh, of my patio. God That's true. Dream. Wow. I, well, I th- oh, I already know the spot that it's gonna get drilled into. <laughs> so uh, it's gonna. Ha- well, my, my, Sunday night, Monday night football is about to be transformed. Oh my god! Transformed. Now, granted, it's transformed for about fifteen twenty minutes before it gets like too hot and you need to get out. But like for that fifteen twenty minutes during that opening kickoff, you're gonna maybe I am ready for Sunday night. You could do that. Like as the weather gets colder, you could be doing the whole like uh, you know a little like Patrick Clapp take on like the uh, you know. I guess which which is the bathing tradition that does the hot and then cold and then hot? Is that like more Scandinavian or is that Turkish? Um, but you don't know. But doing, that is it is delightful. Uh, yeah, that you could be doing the oh man, this this hot tub is getting a little warm. Time to go stand, you know, stand in the like cold freezing air for like a for a series, and then hop back in and have more have more to drink. And that'll be that'll be that'll become part of my like uh, uh, my paranoid ritual with the bears. It's like when they're on defense, like I got to be out in the cold. It's bear weather, Rob. Like I need to be like the bear. And then oh, the offense is heating up. Time to get back in that hot tub and have a sip of this drink. So I I think we've worked. And then it out. every time the stream stutters, you'd be like, "Who's using the internet?" <laughs> Jessica, turn off that fucking Roblox. Oh my god. Uh, speaking of criminal investigations. Patrick, tell me about this murder of Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> uh, Shit. Yes, the murder of one Sonic the Hedgehog by uh, by once. Uh, I, I I just wanted to note. Uh, I have not played this, but uh, the I downloaded media it. manager. I'm I'm gonna you, play it. <laughs> you're gonna play. You, you should you should because I want you to come back uh, and, yeah, and report or report back know. about it. But um, the social media manager uh, for uh, the Sonic brand like uh, tweeted out. Um, uh, just recently, that over a million people had downloaded the murder of Sonic the Hedgehog. It's currently number one, the number sixty-one highest-rated game on Steam of all time, um, and it was a a visual novel murder mystery uh, that was released on April first. Um, and what I think is worth noting is because I've seen this sentiment come up uh, multiple years, it has become incredibly common to the point of like exploitative cynicism that yeah. on April first. There will be a game company that announces a visual novel, often one with a romance and uh, a few, you know, uh, uh, straight up horniness saying like, what if we made a visual novel about this franchise that people love? And everyone goes, we'd love it. This is a huge demographic. Mm-hmm. And like these games are incredibly popular. And these are produced as April Fool's bits making fun of that essentially make fun of the genre um, as a April Fool sort of uh, uh, gag. And I think what was interesting about this Murder of Sonic the Hedgehog, while not like a romance visual novel sort of thing, although I think they did that same exact thing. I think they released the Murder of Sonic the Hedgehog and then also had a sexy visual novel sort of bit. And this is where I had started thinking about this <laughs> this broader trend uh, in games and like uh, social media stuff that happens around April 1st. Like you have an example here of a company spending real resources making something that like I read the Polygon review and they were like, ah, ah, like this is pretty fun. Like well-written, like it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, like how many times have you, have we all watched an April fool's bit that 
was like, hey, actually, like, I think if you just made this, this would be a good, like, I think people would like this and it'd be a good yeah. idea. But there's something hyper specific. And I've just gotten tired of the trend of specifically the, hey, we've made a visual novel and like the horny visual novel out of a popular IP as a way of sort of broadly m- making fun of what is otherwise an extremely popular uh, genre. Yeah. And I just thought it was notable and neat here that, look, they actually did the thing. They made it. They spent real time on it. It, I believe, is free. So it's not it's not as though they're like making bank on it, but it is it is well liked. It's good for the quote brand like and people are having fun. And that's, I, you know, more in the spirit of what I'd like to see out on April 1st than dunking on a increasingly popular genre that may like is well liked by millions of people. Yeah. Also, like increasingly, doesn't it kind of feel like it's the non like uh, traditional Sonic games that people resonate the most with? Uh, <laughs> like it's we're making a classic Son- Sonic game. This sucks. This ain't classic Sonic. This is shit. Uh, we well. put, we made a we made a little racing game with Sonic. Classic with genre. Uh, <laughs> secretly the best kart racer in uh, fifty years, basically since they start before they started making them. But who Gosh, cares? it's almost like the Sonic franchise was cursed and bad from the start, and everything they've just done out of the cool design has been better than the original look, games. Look, look, people liked Sonic Mania, which was you know classic it was it was Sonic. well made. It was that well was made. that was the cl- yes yeah. the, like Sonic Mania where they actually worked with fans in the Sonic community to build out a game that was. Uh, Close Class. to those the, yeah. those classics, like as opposed to oh god, the disaster that was Sonic Four. And again, I'm <laughs> I am not someone that even I'm making fun of Sonic uh, game. Like I, I, they've never been my thing. But yeah. like if you're gonna do it, do it right. right. And like that was an example of them doing it right. And I like, just make the game that people want to play, yeah. not Sonic the episodic Sonic Four games that nobody <laughs> liked. <laughs> I mean, and there's there's also like you know obviously at this point like the community really enjoys these characters and so what you've got here is a a, a yes. way of interacting with those char- characters specifically much more even there's a, there's much more than like, the it, than the than the main games even right like right like part of what has kept sonic alive in during the period in which it had no or like you know games that people convinced themselves they liked yeah. over a, co- a large spectrum of games that just you know where the sonic cycle was invented was colors like, was okay the, the, the excellent exactly <laughs> Kato, come on. You're just being a character now. Um, but, you know, things like the, the Archie comics, yes, like the, the comics, the, 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 comics or the, the, the cartoon series, like like that is the stuff that like really expanded like and, and maintained like the franchise during periods where the, the games were just Sega was unable to sort of make anything worthwhile, uh, or at least on a consistent basis, like post Sonic Adventure. I feel like post Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 is when they just... The Dark Ages. Didn't really know what, <laughs> what to do with it anymore. Um, and then you occasionally got like a Sonic Color. So it's like, oh, like this one's all right. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, I can't do that. And I don't know how to do that again. That was a, just an accident. Um, and so, I don't know. Like, they seem to have a better handle on it than they have had in the past. And like, I haven't seen both of those movies, but they seem fine. And also. This one's all like, right. I don't got the, the tone uh, of, the, of, of the franchise. And so. I don't know. Like this is a neat extension of that. And I, I wish more companies would look at what's happening here and just sort of, I don't know, like don't taunt your f- and make fun of your fans. Right. Like maybe also just embrace just the thing that they want. Also make these for real. I mean, I, I know the developers who made this obviously because they work for Sega got paid, but there's something about making this only as a joke 
and making it free that kind of still like it doesn't quite you know like uh make fun of as much as they like the other kind of jokey ones were uh-huh. but it still is like a little bit of like but it's still not real right like it's yeah, still not I, something where I, like, ima- I can imagine like how do i get the resource allocation with this right. within this big company sure. for something that doesn't map on like when you're looking at like the Sonic the franchise. Sonic, yeah, it's like yeah. we're gonna do a game called The Murder of Sonic the Hedgehog. Like well, the way you get push that rock through the corporate is that uh, it has like to be hill. April 1st. Is it's yeah. on April Fools? Yeah. It's for free. It's like for I I but maybe may ho- Look, hopefully it's got eleven thousand like positive reviews currently yes. on Steam. Like overwhelmingly positive reviews maybe you would that's hope that this is yeah. evidence right that exactly. allows them to do exactly yes. what you're talking about yes. it's like hey what if we actually let people like spend a year actually building something like this whether it's in sonic or or some other franchise like that's how that stuff hopefully like like hey someone had you know what sonic had to take the first step like who's gonna <laughs> take killing who's sonic. gonna take the second uh all right. Well, we will we will contemplate that uh, while we take a break, and after that, we will talk about some games we've been playing. Back after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And we're back. And remember, Waypoint Plus listeners got this podcast ad-free. Uh, you can learn more at waypointplus.com and see how you could have filled that break with nothing but cool tunes. At least I think it's waypointplus.com. Uh, who knows what's happening to our various URLs? <laughs> on, we're working on it. We're working one. on it. <laughs> that one still works. So, that one still works. <laughs> thank God. Waypoint, Waypoint Plus, standing strong. Uh, so, Patrick... Uh, Video games. We don't want to talk them. about the 1997 film Steel. That have you seen? Have you ever seen that Shaq classic? No. No. Okay. Well, Did you see Kazam right. though? Which one? Kazam's the real one. Kazam's the one. That Kazam's the real, not the one with Sinbad that everyone fucking memory palaced and yeah, like everyone. Uh, there I, is, here's the weird thing. I've often felt like actually the whole sin like Sinbad made it like yeah. I never had that delusion until people wouldn't shut the fuck up about it, and then I just like forgot what like to me it's not an interesting one because sure. clearly what people were remembering was Shaq is a genie. We all sure. remember that movie. It was just like people figured it must be they must have like gotten a it must like, have been Sinbad. comedian to yeah. go do it. <laughs> and it's like no, it was a Shaq movie. There was there was something. I mean, Sinbad was also point, extremely popular. Yeah. At the time, like, was in a lot of things. Right. Like, it would not have been no. out of pocket for him to have been cast in that in film. Fact, one could argue it would have made more sense. <laughs> uh, you know, at the, yeah. Yes. Especially, especially early Shaq film roles. Right. The, yeah, the, that was the, uh, what, what, what was that movie with the, he was like the, um, 
the fucking bodyguard to the president's kid or whatever. That was that time, right? Shaq? No. Sinbad. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think you're right. There is a movie uh, where, First where, kid. Sh- where First Shaq kid. is guarding the president's yes. kid. Uh, it's called... Um, it's called First Lacedemonian. Kid. Lacedemonian. That's what? what it is. Yeah. <laughs> It's a little, <laughs> it's a little David Mamet joke for people. Wow. Uh, for people following along at home. Uh, there so, was there was apparently some sort of Sinbad thing where he was wearing a turban, but it was like a an ad or some shit, and people were just like, I don't, I don't, I don't. <laughs> the director of The Exorcist directed Blue Chips. What? <laughs> Excuse me. Like the well, Exorcist, Sha- the Exorcist, like ex- William the original. Fr- yeah, William Friedkin directed Blue Chips, the 1994 American sports Hell drama. Yeah. Directed by William Friedkin, starring Nick Nolte as a college coach trying to recruit a winning team. His players were portrayed by actors as well as real life basketball stars Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway. Wow. Sorry, I just I was looking through <laughs> Shaq's filmography as a result of this conversation. It was like I've heard of Blue Chips, never seen it. I was like. William Friedkin, like, I'm sure he had, ne- he had an eclectic filmography. He was not a horror director, but anyway. Sorry, I've I completely derailed this at this point. Now I look, it's very clear that Rob, based on uh, his face, is also looking at a Wikipedia entry. <laughs> I just can't tell if it's Blue Chips or... No, uh, actually, I was looking at, I was trying to remember the name of the Kevin Durant kids movie. Uh, Thunderstruck, in <laughs> case you're wondering. <laughs> no, I wasn't, and I've never heard of it. I feel like we we yeah. all lost out on a career of Shaq as like a comedic actor because honestly his performance in whatever that NBA game was was spectacular. I mean, we could we could say he is performing comedy uh, every episode of Inside Inside the NBA. Look, we we you know we have pushed Waypoint Plus pretty far, but have we pushed it far enough? Welcome to the Shaq cast. We're going through the entire. Filmography of one Shaquille O'Neal from 1994's Blue Chips yeah. to 2020's Hubie Halloween. We have <laughs> 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 episodes on the Docker view. Many of these cameos Scary Movie 4, The House Bunny, Jack and Jill. This is my question. Shows up do we know dogs? Do we do, do we do cameos or only starring roles? It might th- that might be a single episode. Yeah. So I think Freddie got fingered after the sunset scene before that was funny. And Never Jack mind. and Jill, abort, abort, abort. which are, which is a which is a sequence of uh, movies from uh, 2001 to 2011, in which he only appeared in, in cameo form. That could be a one one yeah. episode thing. And then we're getting yeah. down to like 14 tight tight episodes about uh, Jack's film. You joke, but. The people would listen, Rob. They listen to us talk about baseball, and most of them don't don't watch sports. <sighs> anyway, back at that should have been our April Fool's joke. A Shaq cast. <laughs> Fuck the Shaq cast. Oh, that would have been good. I just played it straight. Oh. May first. <laughs> Are you guys been on the subject of sports, Patrick? Uh, you had listed here MLB the show. Yeah. Uh, is this you just dancing on my grave some more? No. <laughs> no, no, no. People can watch the stream and 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 watch us. No, I, I thought I, I know that you talked about MLB the show uh with, with Kato on the podcast last week, but I have not played 
a baseball game since. I mean, what is there? What was what was there beyond it before MLB The Show became the de facto Madden? Um, less so because of licensing, more so because it was just the best, right? Like, isn't that the arc of baseball? Yeah, I, less- I believe. I believe like MLB The Show ran like RBI off the off the field. Uh, it might have been, or maybe I feel like there was another baseball series going at the same time, and then MLB The Show just was, like, it was just better, the better one. Yeah, right, right. Um, and so I, I don't know when the last time I seriously sat down and played a baseball game was. Baseball is also lower ranked for me in terms of the the sports that I have vested interest in or want to like engage with like in a in a gaming format. So it was just interesting to come back to it and play it with you and just see the layer of complexity. Like I'm sure I was pl- the last MLB the show or equivalent that I played. There were certainly layers of complexity, but the natural arc of any of these games over time seems to be by necessity systems on tops of systems on tops of systems. It does not prevent them from becoming popular, but it does make it incredibly overwhelming. Like I know how baseball works. I also know how football works. And I think we've shared the sentiment of like, anytime you return to a Madden, it's like, holy shit, there's like nine buttons just to like throw the ball. And then there are like a a billion things that are happening once I've caught it. And the people who play these games and enjoy them, well, I don't know if they're happy with the Madden games. That seems to be actually just corporate dominance <laughs> as opposed to necessarily winning the argument if through sheer quality of play. Madden, people will be off like a shot. Well, the, the, that's what Visual Concepts was doing for ages, right? Like with the, the NFL 2K series, right? The, which was uh, the Sega produced stuff yeah. uh, for, for a while. Those were well, well regarded um, uh, football games. So. I don't know. Like maybe you touched on this, and we can just move past this. If you if you touched on this in the in the podcast no, last week, but the but the like the arc of complexity mm. of this series. Like, do you have any sense of it? Because I know you've played more of it than than I have. Uh, no, I don't think so. Because so the the first one I got seriously into was uh, you know I was high off that Cubs World Series, uh, <laughs> and so 2017 I was like. Hell yes, I'm gonna play MLB the show. The dynasty has begun. But by that point, it really hardened into a pretty uh consistent design. Now, having said that, here's the odd thing. Uh they changed the name of certain options in the menu this year, but like the version I came in on, uh MLB sixteen uh the show sixteen, uh seventeen, like these are identified as like legacy control uh setups. So it has it has evolved, but it it doesn't like to me, it is not particularly noticeable. I think the big thing is, and you sort of uh, came across this. They have tried to make it a lot like golf games, right? They're always playing around with control interfaces to try to get like the right feel of how the various actions in the sport should should come across. Well, how do you create a, a sensation beyond hitting a button, which it which is here, right? Like the more simplified hitting that like I, I was run, you know <laughs> literally ran away with in the first inning of our matchup was the arcadey style of timing base it's like you're not worried about where the pitch is landing you are just trying to connect whatever uh swing motion whether it's you know po- you know i forget what it would be like an older game but in the new game you know it's it's power where you're like hey i'm slugging this i want this to be a home run it's normal it was just hit the ball and then contact which is and i just want to maybe get on base uh um uh and you're not worried about anything except when ball crosses plate, hit button, and the, the the game will take care of where that appears 
in like to the to the to the to the hitter. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's in the upper right or the bottom left. Like the the direction of the pitch is irrelevant. You are just hitting that timing, um, which is way less specificity than you're getting everywhere else with the more advanced uh, control techniques. Yeah, and that's kind of the, I think that's where they've that's where you really see the effective years going by is they sort of revisited what's a better interface, but we don't want to alienate the people who uh, maybe prefer these, these simpler versions, or maybe just prefer these, these old uh, schemes that we were using. So it all kind of ends up in there, but, but I do think like it is just a, it's a simpler game from the standpoint of like, what are you asking a player to do? you know, when you're hitting, you're just kind of hitting Uh, madness, as you alluded to, has almost like fighting game levels of controls because every position is really contextual, right? Like yep. the minute they introduced, like here are four different ways to bring down, a, bring down a pass uh, if you're a receiver. And each of those has an impact of like what your follow through on that is. It will affect like, you know, what sort of uh, jump you get, uh, you know, when you, when you take off running, but it does mean that every single thing that happens in a Madden game, you have, you, you potentially have to adjust your, notion of what you're doing on the controls like at least twice per play uh as as it goes along and it's it's really there's a lot of like nuance in in things you can make your player do there's a lot of expression of like their their physical prowess here it's much more like you know yeah it's you know select your select your hit uh and then beyond that it is questions of fielding uh pitcher probably has the most nuance but even there it's more like you know your selection of pitches is is basically you know your your hand and you're deciding which card to play with each pitch uh and then what matters is how well do you execute the pitch but even that's that's pretty simple i think where it gets and and you know this is fitting enough for for baseball certainly we started to encounter this a bit when we were playing franchise mode the complexity in games like this really lives in the advanced stats when you go into stuff like franchise mode and you start playing around with like identifying what makes a valuable or good player, uh, because you know, it is baseball is kind of an, it's, it's kind of an odd game in that there's just, they play so many games. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you have this weird thing of, there is a lot more, repetition in baseball these these players are going to go out and do their thing again and again and again and again and crucially like you're not going unlike in a football game maybe where you you know there's only 17 games you got to play through in a season maybe you could do that you know feasibly you could play every game in your in your franchise mode and every play could be really impactful for the outcome of your season you know like you want to take every snap as the quarterback also outliers can be successful like we when the Bengals went to the, to the Super Bowl you know uh a year ago they were not a particularly great team during the season and then just were on fire when they hit the playoffs and went to the Super Bowl and like that is just less likely to happen if like there's less likely to happen to the Bengals if the playoffs were like baseball or basketball it's like hey you got to win a three-game series against the Chiefs like you're just not like you're just not you're just not gonna do that but you might win one game and they yeah. did and they stacked that a couple of times and the interesting thing about baseball and I think how the stats maybe end up becoming more important in that regard uh, contextually is because it's you have to prove it over and over again. There is less chance for outliers because the outliers are going to get 
just kind of squashed out by just sheer uh, fact that you have to show up and do it over and over again. And like roster construction becomes a real puzzle uh, that you're putting together. Like that's that's not to say it's that is also true in football, especially because there's different styles to running an offense or defense that some players fit better than others. But like with baseball, there's a there are a lot of elements like you need to make sure that especially the pitching staff is is where you see this come up a lot where it's like you need to have a pretty decent arsenal of both available like you need in your pitching staff they need to yield a pretty wide selection of pitches that you can like reliably deliver but then they have different stats in terms of like how well they deliver to left or right-handed hitters uh for instance and so that becomes another factor and you start really needing it's it's not a situation where you can safely just say I need to go find the best pitcher I can. And so just like sort by overall ability score and like, find me, find me a good pitcher. You know, as you're building out that pitching staff, you really, maybe you don't want that best overall because it actually turns out you have a huge gap in your lineup, but you need to be able to interpret the stats uh, well enough to identify it. And I feel like we were not there yet. I mean, we were also kind of rushing through it uh, in the pursuit of uh, Mr. Uh, we were I, like I so I restarted. I started my own Cubs franchise and uh-huh. like I spent two hours in like day one of spring training being like, who the fuck are these people? Uh-huh. <laughs> Which also taught me a lot about the Cubs. Who the fuck are these people? There's been a lot of roster turnover. It's it is a it is a much different team than it was. There's basically um, there's very few players you'd recognize, even if you're paying attention to the post 2016 like hangover, like Ian Happ, like is a name that's been around for a couple of years. But um, it is it is broadly a, a radically different. It's not dissimilar to the to the turnover on the the Bears uh, post uh, 2018 um, in which, uh, you know, you can you can recognize your Eddie Jackson's right. Like a couple of players made it through. But broadly speaking, it is a completely different team. Uh, than the one that uh, managed to eke out a championship in 2016. Well, and, that, and that's where it gets like, so I'm sitting there and you were, you were sort of joking that you were right. Like we should blow this team up even more was kind of your position was like, you know, we're, we're pretty much, you know, you really helpfully, they give you the thing where you can see your roster strength at each uh, position. Mm-hmm. So you got your depth chart, but then above the depth chart, it just shows you like where you're, like projected to rank in major league baseball at that position. And I think we were both observing like Cubs were bottom half of the league, pretty much across the board, I think, except like shortstop. Yeah. And it was kind of being buttressed by, there were still a few, like maybe not necessarily stars at these positions, but still like very good uh, players who commanded high salaries and had good stats. But like what, what, what good is that to us uh, when the team is so middling overall and so then you have the the following question of I should deal these guys, but it's hard to assess like what is a good trade, you know? It's like you don't you don't want to be the schmuck who's like I'm blowing it up. Give me all the prospects. You need to make sure you're getting you're you're getting good value, which does mean identifying like what are other teams' needs. Uh, who is who is likely a good a good trade partner for this? Which also does tend to like <laughs> I did find it illustrates why certain organizations tend to do business with each other repeatedly. Like mm-hmm. that's a lot of teams out there and it's way easier if you're just like, 
here are a few teams that I just tend to follow that we tend to have complementary needs and we'll just, you know, I'll just keep tabs on their pipeline and they'll keep tabs on mine and we need to do, do a deal. We can just pick up the phone. Uh, like famously, I guess the Sox and the Cubs don't don't do business together, which is got to be infuriating for players because like, please talk to each other. You know, if you're going to trade me, trade me across town so I can keep my house and keep my kids in school. But no, Cubs and Sox do not do business uh, no. across their front office. No, I think that's there was a uh, Craig uh, Kimbrell. Kimbrell, I think that's how I pronounce his name. He was a closer for the Cubs during the uh, kind of final stretch of hoping the like post 2016 lineup would continue to be worth a damn and uh he then played for the white Sox. i think last year i don't know if that was a trade though but it was a rare instance to which a player went directly from one team to the other but whether through trade or release and then sign it's very rare for that to happen it was like a rare instance of one from the last couple of years uh but yeah i mean like so, uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty clear on this. I love the show. I don't know baseball well enough, but every year I'm like, I'm going to learn more about baseball and I'm going to learn more about baseball so I can play the show better. And the show is going to teach me more about baseball. But like, I find it such a good presentation. It has such a good vibe of a baseball game. Uh, and you can make it pretty arcadey. Like that was yeah. the thing that, you know, I've not drilled down in this in Madden. Maybe I'll, maybe you and I'll try and make an, a, a genuine attempt at that this year. But there's just I, I have accepted the fact that I'm never going to be able to play Madden at the the face value like what it's presenting. It's just I don't have the time or interest to learn that layer of complexity. Is there a version of that game that I can play that is not quite NFL Blitz, but is somewhere like that is more arcadey where it's more throw ball guy catch you know touchdown you know that yeah. I, can, I can enjoy. <laughs> uh, and what's nice about Emily the show is like the timing based stuff is is pretty easy to grok. Like it was, it made like, I can just get in here and kind of swing. And it's easy enough to like throw the ball around to like, and run the, run the batters or, uh, you know, around the bases. And, uh, I found myself really enjoying that. And I actually like the complexity of the pitching stuff. Like hitting is hard to the point of can be frustrating. If you're not going to put in the work to really like develop the mental, uh, like the cognitive skills to recognize how these balls are going to go, what swings make sense. I don't know that I'm going to put in that time. The pitching stuff is really interesting. Like I ended up liking of all the pitching interfaces. The one I liked the most was the pulse where, um, you know, the way it lines up is you can see sort of the, the you know, the batter box, it, it sort of identifies in a checker box format, like strengths and weaknesses um, uh, for that particular uh, hitter. And you're kind of, you can see the kind of curvature of uh, the ball that you're going to, going to throw, like what direction is going to go in kind of generally speaking. And then that kind of, you know, all feeds into what kind of pitch am I going to throw a curveball, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and you were playing one with, I think uses sign of the, the golf meter, like, like a, Ooh, yeah. Ooh. And it like bounces back and forth and you're lining it up into a spot. And the one that uh, people were recommending for me, just because of my familiarity with like kind of rhythm games and things like that was one called pulse, where you still just have the little circle that's indicating where like the direction the ball is going to head in. But then what determines whether it's a, uh, a good pitch or a bad pitch or like the accuracy and the speed is like waiting for that circle to pulse all the way to the center. And it just adds a little bit of, you know, for lack of a better term, like gamification of this like minute action that you're doing over and over and over again in the game, but makes every one of those just, I don't know. It adds just a little bit to it beyond just I'm playing a card and then watching it play out, which is totally fine. If that's how you want to play it, which is that you can, you can kind of construct the game into not quite being 
a very gorgeous sim um, in which you're just choosing actions and watching the stats play themselves out. But you can kind of adjust those layers in a way that if I want to play this, not quite RBI baseball level arcade, but something that gives me the beautiful presentation of MLB The Show, but also I can kind of turn my brain off and just like uh, enjoy myself. I, I didn't quite know that the game had that level of options and it was nice to revisit the game and both see you know i don't know how how what like level of like history those play styles are showing like uh in terms of like is this 10 years of them trying different inputs and they just can't get rid of any of them because there's some level of players that glom onto it and they've got it they're going to stick with it but regardless like the existence of all of them i think and whether it's both preference in terms of your own level of simulation that you want to engage with, or just like what level of sim you want. Uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised to discover that you can customize the game to make it just, I don't know, like I want to goof around with the Cubs for an hour or two and, and not necessarily get into the franchise level uh, stuff that you're going to get to, but I can still sim a season and let the, you know, the game take care of all, all that stuff. And I don't know, it's just I gorgeous. My, it looks if amazing. If I get my feet under me with franchise mode, and I don't mean like actually figure it out, but I mean, get to like motorsport manager levels, of uh-huh. like <laughs> understanding it at least. Uh, I don't know. Maybe like, I would love to do this again. And like, maybe we do those cool, like PlayStation sharing features where I just like bring you in to my session right. and we sort of go uh-huh. through like, uh, the critical moments. Yeah. You know, a few a few weeks in the life of the 2023 fictional Cubs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, be like, I think I figured out, I think I figured out trade value well enough. It's time to deal Stroman, you know, it's- <laughs> well, you can do this sort of thing where you because you can skip the critical moments and have those get simmed. Uh, yep. Part of the way the game works in the franchise mode is like, hey, bottom of the ninth and this like the end of the series with the Brewers. Do you want to play this? Like, do you want to play this last like like rally um, in the in the bottom of the ninth? And you don't have to, but you can. But in in that way, you, you could do the franchise mode. And if you get your team on the edge of the postseason or into the postseason, okay, well, I'm just going to play the playoffs. Like, I, I you know I simmed everything else, set my team up. Now I'm going to enjoy the postseason part of it. And so I, you let me know how your Cubbies do, and uh, I'll have to join you uh, for for good or ill. So just a quick, uh, you know, aside here, the other thing, so the other thing I've been playing. So I've, my Resident Evil journey is continuing. Mm. Uh, Mr. X. And this is maybe where it stops. <laughs> my, Rob, Rob, <laughs> stop playing at my favorite part of the game. Just uh, two? Yeah, I had, I had pretty successfully managed to know nothing about Mr. X. Uh, like I had like sort of tuned out, <laughs> like I'd seen pictures of Big Goon, but I hadn't really like. Stomp, really stomp, taking stomp, it all in. Stomp, stomp, stomp. <laughs> and so you can imagine my shock when I finally got that helicopter moved out of the way so I could move through the police station, <laughs> get back inside. Uh-huh. And as I go there to like walk past the no longer burning helicopter, a big man in a trench coat <laughs> and a hat, uh, like with like made of steel is gray pal weird gray power just comes flings the helicopter around and i'm like okay cool boss fight <laughs> and uh well <laughs> yeah i was real disappointed when i got him down i was like what do i have to do where's the what do i he's down what do i do now what do i do What's now the, where's the weak point where's the big a glowing orange glob I'm circling that I around shoot. him like surely <laughs> surely there's going to be something i'm supposed to hit here uh and they just stood up and like launched me across the across the roof <laughs> uh and and killed me and so but now i'm in this mode and this is like 
it's almost like exactly what brought me to my knees in amnesia, mm. which is just the sensation of like, I know what I have to do. I have to go to this place, put the two objects together, move some things around. You know, I have to go pick up this item. Got to do all these various little like tasks, all these little errands that Resident Evil has you as you doing. But now every single one of them, I'm on this timer. Mm-hmm. And the timer is this really hard to pin down heavy tread of his footsteps. And it always sounds, were we talking on podcast the other day about like auditory hallucinations uh, uh-huh. just from like starting to like, you expect the noise. So you start hearing it. Yeah. It was, it was in the context and in the context of like a, a hallucinatory like cries that parents yeah. hear. Uh, took absolutely no time before I started just hearing the stomp. Uh, yes. Like I was like the audio design in, in Resident Evil 2 is exceptional because what you're running into it was frankly my favorite part of the game, even though I spent the entire time terrified and wishing for it to be. Over. It's one of those moments where like this is my relationship with like being scared is where like I'm truly scared. I would those moments with Mr. X were like some of the most like actual terror I've experienced with a video game in like the last five years. And when I'd be playing that game at night by myself, all I can think to myself is why do I do this to myself? I just want this part to be over and get past it. And then as I, in the years, as I get beyond it, I go back and I just, I'm nostalgic from like, Oh, remember when I fucking hated that? Remember when I was so scared hearing those steps and the design of it is exceptional because you cannot always pin down if he is, rooms away or rooms above and i imagine that is a lot of what you are struggling with here is you start to make assumptions you start to guess and you start to hope that well i think he's stomping about up above which gives me i don't know two or three minutes to screw around here before i have to actually hoof it and you're wrong (laughs) and he's actually around the corner and you're dead it's uh you know it's but it is well time because i was getting I was definitely getting complacent because, like, while the zombies are annoying because they just soak up ammo, right? Like, every time one of these fuckers yeah. is, like, in a tight hallway, to truly put them down down is going to take, like, a full magazine. Uh, you know, and I just don't I don't have the time or the ammo for that shit. Uh, but it was just getting to a point where I was like, okay, I just need to, you know, sort of make my laps around the building and unlock the different rooms, get the it's like, Hey keys, Fred, like there's the zombie that I'm not going to take down. Like, Oh, Hey Sally. Like you just waved <laughs> all the different zombies that you just don't have the ammo. Yep. But they're like, all right, going to get you around this corner. You get confused yep, yep. and I'm going to juke past it's like you're, you. You're the old, the old people at the mall, like at 6am, like going on your walk and running into all your friends, except these are just zombies. You don't want to waste ammo on. <laughs> right. And now like suddenly the entire space has become way more hostile and terrifying uh because like like the fact that he can violate the sanctity of the main hall uh really <laughs> stunned yeah. me. i was like i made it away from him and i was like oh, main hall go over save man some inventory and i'm like thump 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 and i'm like yeah he's probably just pacing around outside the waiting room waiting for me to come back out there but i'm not going out there and i hear the door open and i hear like Thud, thud, thud. <laughs> and I'm like, he's in the main hall. My main hall that I my shared sanctuary? with my friend who became a zombie, but he was my friend. 
uh, yeah, and so this is uh, it's it's incredibly stressful, but like it is the sort of thing where I have. I don't know. I was playing late at night. Maybe I just didn't have the energy reserves after a certain point. I still made a lot of progress, but it was just like uh-huh. nightmarish, right? Where it was like, uh, well, I guess something else I appreciate is it does seem like he's programmed not to totally corner you. No, I made a run into the uh, interrogation rooms uh, because there's some items there that you need, but like that is a dead end. And so if Mr. X shows up there, like that should be a, you're just going to get pounded. Uh, you know, to a pulp, he didn't come. Uh, oddly enough, there he like he stayed away. I finished that, but then the minute I got back into a place where there were like multiple entrances and exits, suddenly he was back in my face. Yeah, I th- it is a it is a enemy design that is brilliant in a lot of ways, and but I think where, where it is is running its most effective, and you're seeing it demonstrated here is. That it's it, it's not really something that kills you all the time. It just makes you think it's going to. Not kill even you. very often. He's like I was like he is slower than me. Like not yes. so much slower that I can afford to like. It's the run the wrong direction, you ha- right? Much. You have like it is it is mm-hmm. it is impacting your risk management in a game that, uh, in a series in a genre that like that risk management becomes easier to deal with over time. And part of what is great about Mister X is that it kind of tries to interrupt that that like flow and that like that trajectory that is, is present in all of these games. And it's, you know, it's why they, it's very understandable that like the game after this, they're like, huh, that Mr. X stuff, which was that by itself, an extension of the tyrant from resident evil one. What if we just built the whole game around that? Well, they didn't do a very good job of that. I'm not, I'm, I've you know, never been a fan of resident evil three, even if I think conceptually it's a, it's a really smart idea. I see why they landed on that being like building a whole game around the idea. Of the oh, so, the, so three X. is all about this pursuit. Yeah. There is a, a creature called nemesis uh, that is following you throughout the entire game. Um, and I think the, the, the remake they did, you know, marginally improves on the idea, but like it, it needed to like bake in the oven longer. I know resident evil three has its fans. I've, I don't think it's a bad game. I just think it, it pales in comparison and doesn't live up to its premise uh, as as much as it, as it could have. But um, and part of what works about it in, in in two is that it's just this section, right? Like then then like it's a section of the game. It is not the entirety of the game, but it comes at a really good time when you feel like ah, master of my domain, this police station. Like I understand you. I'm ready to go to the next section, but I'm going to clean up here. And then in comes Mister Rax to just take familiar places like the patterns you were using to get around effectively no longer do those patterns sustain. Um, and I think that's why it works really well. I think it's one of those things that I think you're experiencing a similar sort of uh, feeling that in the moment you're cursing it. And then you start talking about it and you're like, wow, that is really smart. What it's, what it's doing. But then you get into it yourself again. And you're like, Man, fuck him. Like, I hate this. Uh, and that is, I think a testament to his design more than, more than anything else. Uh, so, You've also been going back to a classic this week. I have. Um, this week I, I streamed for a couple of hours. Uh, a return back to the wild. Um, I, inspired by return. The, uh, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, re- the inspired by the kind of ten minutes of footage that Nintendo released for Tears of the Kingdom, the uh, Breath of the Wild two uh, mm. follow up uh, that is coming uh, a little over a month uh, from now. I thought to myself. That game is complicated. Like I don't, you know, I have not received 
uh, Tears of the Kingdom from Nintendo. I'm not violating any email NDAs. I have I have no I have access to nothing. But I don't know when that game is going to show up. And I'm like, do I just want to jump into that sequel right away after six years, or do I want to get my feet wet with Breath of the Wild? And so I wanted to get my feet wet, and my thought was, there's two ways I can do that. I can just start a fresh save and just like run through the tutorial kind of like go through the systems again. It's like, ah, this is the flow of Breath of the Wild. Do a couple shrines, like maybe do one divine beast. And like, okay, I'm good. I chose plan B, which is like, I'm going to load a six-year save at the (laughs) end game and (laughs) not know what's going on. And me and chat, we're going to figure this out together. Um, And it was delightful. One, the DLC that was released for Breath of the Wild um, added this really neat, I'm not telling anyone anything that's played this game or the DLC uh, that they wouldn't know, but it was new to me because I never returned to the game after finishing it. Um, I never played any of the DLC. Uh, it was a, it's called Heroes, Heroes Path. So when you load into the, the map, mm. you can then press a button that will show you oh my God, a yeah. trajectory of your character on the map. And so it's like you'll see your character warping between spots. It tells you every time you die and makes a hilarious little link dying sound. Yep. <gasps> like, like every time he he goes out. Um, and you can watch the 70 hours or so that I played of that game. And we did so. And so it was very funny because people were like, you didn't see a lot of this game. And it appears your track, uh, your character suggests a person who was going from one main objective to the other. And I was like, yeah. Have you listened to the last six years of Waypoint Radio? <laughs> You're just see, I wasn't lying to you. I tend to go where the objectives point me. Um, to a, super, super quickly. I just want to shout yeah. out uh, uh, a friend and um, uh, like artist game dev that I know online, Everest Pipkin. I don't know if y'all have mm-hmm. seen their um, uh, the traveling the traveling swordsman problem. When that mode came out where you can mm-hmm. track where you're going, they tried to get as far and finish as far finish a game of Breath of the Wild without that line ever crossing over it, it itself. Oh wow! And they go, they it's amazing the length they have to go to make sure that the line that line never crosses back. And it's a really fun uh, series of videos. So you go look that up, Everest Pipkin at Everest Pipkin on Twitter. There's like links there, but. Really? That's a great meta layer, and yeah, it's it's it's, yeah. it's fascinating because this is a a in a feature that was added after the game's initial release, and so the data was just sitting there, being you know like monitored by the game in whatever you know man. Like I have no idea if that was something that right. the developers thought of after the fact. It was like, hey, actually, this would be neat to surface, or it was something that they just didn't get it into the final game. But it was really fat. It like retroactively, I was like, made me super mad that most more games don't surface mm-hmm. data in that way. Like occasionally we get infographics of like so many people died here and, and yada, stuff. yada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And heat maps. But I was like, man, like I wish Elden Ring had this. I would love to watch like my little character, like the amount of its places, way across. Yeah, the amount of places on that map when the first time I looked, looked, looked at, looked at this here, the, my line was like, I thought I'd been there. I would have sworn yeah. I walked through that area, but I totally didn't. And then I go there, and there's there's something there, which is also yeah. the wild thing about a game like Breath of the Wild, where you think, surely this little patch of field that I accidentally didn't cross is just a patch of field. That can't have a pu- like seven puzzles yeah. that I missed. It's like, oh no, there's ten. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's like I, I knew I did not exhaust that game. That is a game to exhaust yeah. requires hundreds of hours of, yeah. of play. You know, I've always kind of described myself as uh, not a completionist, but like a oh, what's the term? Oh, I wrote about it. I'll, have to, I'll look it up. But like I like doing things up to a point and then kind of hit that. But it's not it's not it's never quite completionist. Right. Um, and, I, you know, so I felt 70 hours was like a good amount of time in Breath of the Wild. And I felt very I, felt I had a full meal. And what was so revealing was buddy like you had like maybe a like a, a couple of on, like if this was six entrees like you had one or two like there was like many courses left for you to to consume that's what that heroes mode like exposed like so thoroughly like because when you look at the things that are marked naturally by finding towers and shrines um or the the markers you have made on there it if you were to look at my map it doesn't Maybe you could tell that it wasn't exhaustive, but it's like, oh, you've been like uh, kind of all of the big places. Mm-hmm. And then you watch the heroes like uh, a journey and it's like, no, no, you have not. <laughs> like you went to that mountain, but you like climbed it from one way, did one thing yeah. and then didn't explore anything else there. And what was so fascinating about revisiting it, um, once we kind of were able to start getting over like the the obvious part of what, what happens when you revisit a six year old save and you have to like re like understand systems that are like you know you're six years separated from there's no easy way to just like jump into a tutorial and like how does aiming with the how do bombs work you know there's nothing like that so once we got beyond that and chat was very helpful in me uh uh figuring that that stuff out um was looking back at a map in which i had made markers right like like many games with maps you can put like various stamps or markers down that signify, well, you've given it some sort of signification, right? Like it can be like in Breath of the Wild, there's like a sword, a skull, um, a, a leaf. And the game doesn't tell you this is what represents this. Right. You have to imbue it with some sort of uh, meaning and, and definition. And so what I I didn't know what the, the arc <laughs> of the stream was going to be when I started it. What we kind of stumbled into was let's revisit what Patrick thought was important and worth marking six years ago and go figure out what that shit is. And what was so much fun was figuring out what did I think six years ago? Like, why is this a sword? What is this skull thing? That seems ominous, yeah. but I don't know what's up there. And it was delightful to, to kind of excavate my own memories that don't exist anymore. Like I did those things, but I don't, that my brain shot that out of a cannon probably a month after that guy was done with that game. And it was a, a, a a mixture of watching people be excited for like, oh, I, I, I remember what that hill is. Like, I know why you marked that with a sword or I know why you marked that with a skull. And and people were able to remember kind of like their own memories of playing the game. A lot of people are also revisiting it as they get ready for Tears of the Kingdom. And then just having to figure out what I was doing, what my own flow of the game was uh, six years ago was just really uh, delightful and put me in a really good spot to get excited for for Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, Kato, I know you joined the stream about halfway through. Um, <laughs> we're, we're attempting to help me uh, to no avail of my own uh, personal inability to take such hints. But uh, was there anything you not- noticed about revisiting that game again while, while I did so? Uh, just how truly expressive some of the like powers end up feeling like the yeah. ways that you tackle like there were so many like especially when you were fighting the Lionel there were so many people like 
giving you hints and stuff like things that they would do when they fought this one specific enemy that it's kind of a combat check. Um, and you basically ignored most of those, which is like, you yes. were busy. I, I <laughs> you mostly like, just consumed <laughs> enough health to brute force my way yes, but, through uh, the fight. But like, you know, you had to gather those materials. You had to go and cook those materials at some point for it to be worth it. To- Six-year-old Patrick was was preparing yes. the, you know, himself for this fight. Um, he just didn't know it I yet. never thought... I never thought, like, oh, freeze him. Like, I barely use stasis against enemies. But, like, that guy, <laughs> you fucking wailed on him while he was uh, stuck in stasis. And I'm like, oh. The on- you look, Kyle, yeah, the, only huh? way, the only way to, to get through that fight was to not fight. Yeah. And because, Patrick, do you remember how to dodge? I don't. Are you reliably locking onto this enemy? I'm not. What if you just kept him in place and whacked him with a big sword yeah, over and over? Yeah. Okay. And, wor- and it worked. It's great. And it's just like... It's this, the beauty of one of the beauties of this game is just the amount of options that you have that yeah. like feel kind of, you know, there's so many different ways that you can uh, tackle any one thing and they're all equally valid if you're having fun, obviously. Like, and you are often having fun the way that you choose to like tackle any problem in that game. Um, and it's just like, damn, like they really, they really hit it out of the park with this one. And I'm super excited to see Tears of the Kingdom add a layer to expressivity, right? Like the way right. that all the crafting stuff looks is like they're just making, they're giving you more tools to express a, a different problem solving skills in different ways, right? Um, and I'm, you know, just got me more, even more hype for, for Tears yeah. of Kingdom, of course. Yeah. And I, I think the, <laughs> someone noticed in, in the chat, but it's something that you don't, you know, you can remember intellectually, but it's it's another thing to sort of like experience again. It's yeah. just how boring the game is, and I mean that as a <laughs> as, as the highest of compliments. Like it, like games these days are so terrified of letting the player kind of luxuriate in a space um, and figure it out for themselves. And Breath of the Wild, that's not like a moment to that's not like an occasional thing. That is like the defining experience mm-hmm. of Breath of the Wild, and frequently I find games that tilt in the direction of find your own fun to be frustrating because again, like I like being kind of nudged in a direction and and given an objective and, and, and breath of the wild. What's amazing about it is that it does both. Yeah. Like it, it nudges, it, it said it's, Hey, here's a big glowing go here thing to do. And then along the way, you're going to get distracted and bored yeah. <laughs> and do different things. And it's just, such a difficult thing to to pull off that you can't help but look at it as a happy accident more than more than intentional because otherwise <laughs> I think more people would do it. Um, and not many have tried or done it in the six years since. I mean, you know, there was a lot of conversation after Breath of the Wild, like what is the, what is going to be the impact of Breath of the Wild? Yeah. And I'm sure it's happened. Games have like taken some lessons, but like broadly speaking, yeah. Tears of the Kingdom is arriving, and it's like, well. The game industry gave Nintendo six years to make another one of these. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you can see parts of it in things like Elden Ring and, and stuff like that, certainly. But um, it, it seems like Nintendo still has that lane to itself because I think it's just a very difficult thing to pull off, which yes. makes me all the more excited of what did they think was interesting about their own thing? Um, 100%. And, you know, in some of the powers they've shown, we, we're getting, you know, glimpses of that. Um, I think like the the glomming of items onto yeah. one another is at once 
in acknowledgement of people's frustrations with the crafting and the durability system while also not getting rid of it. You know what I mean? It's like, look, (laughs) things are going to break, but also we've made it easier than ever for you to just make some shit up. Yeah. Uh, Like you just take a stick and put a rock on it. Boom. Boom. You know, stronger stick. Stronger stick. Uh, and that rules. Cause I, I th- it's like a really smart solution that, you know, in the exhaustive discourse around that game, um, and was durability a problem? I didn't see anyone suggest, I'm sure it's out there on a forum post. Sure. Like, hey, this is maybe a middle ground that kind of addresses both issue, both, uh, conversations at once. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, I'm, I think I'm going to end up playing the champions ballad. Uh, story DLC uh, on stream over the last next couple of weeks. Um, Hell yeah. Towards uh, Tears of the Kingdom, so you can stay tuned for that. I don't know if I'll get to a part two uh, next week or not because I'll be out uh, of pocket on Thursday and Friday. But at least we'll be doing that heading up to the was it May twelfth? I think is when that that game I was gonna, I was about and, to ask how much time do I have to finish that game because I also never finished it. Yeah, you have. To, I think May twelfth is when 12th. it when it comes out. Yeah. So you've got a little uh, bit of time, and then at some point during that period, I'll have to presumably shut the fuck up about right. it whenever <laughs> and then secret, we, secret thing that comes across my desk we'll um, never hear from patrick you know, again <laughs> with, some, with some document comes across my desk that lets me uh know how what the file size is for tears of the kingdom which is a regular thing that nintendo tells you as part of their nba process for their games you can talk I'm about super curious the file size of this game i'm super curious what thing they won't allow you to talk about this time oh what's gonna be the claymore <laughs> what's gonna be right? the claymore of tears of the kingdom yeah, or have they, yeah. have they loosened up who knows <laughs> I, I really doubt it i've yeah. been on i do all of the calls for that for um and it, again to, to underscore it kato there's only one company that does a call. Right. <laughs> like, you know, uh, Death Stranding may have made you sign an NDA that said you'll beat the game, but I, I didn't have to be on a call with Sony about that one. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I will, I will, ho- I can tell you at a different time, you know, uh, or, or not. I don't know. Maybe, that, <laughs> well, maybe yeah, the maybe NDA will say, don't talk about what you can't talk about, bro. <laughs> Um, but I, I am, I am excited to continue playing more, uh, breath of the wild. And so if you want to check that out, we'll be doing that on the Twitch stream, uh, in the weeks before tears of the kingdom. Well, before we get out of here, we should probably take a little dip into the question bucket. Uh, we got some, we got, we got some vintage ones, uh, hanging out here. Ooh. Uh, Ash writes, hello friends. What job are you the most qualified for that you would never do in a million years? For instance, I have two theater degrees, an education degree, and three years of working in schools scattered around my 20s, but never in a million years would I ever be a theater teacher for theater teacher for kids of any age. My tolerance for being around kids is at about the 20-minute mark. They're walking <laughs> over sensory machines. You can't cuss in front of them, and they think they know more about Pokemon than me. Plus, it turns out working in a school setting is absolutely dreadful. In a different vein, even though I'm Mexican, trans, queer, and disabled, the thought of working in a diversity and inclusion department of a company or university sounds terrible. I had enough of a time uh, being the token everything in grad school, and at least in my experience, the work of an IND department is to make the company university look better and not to improve the material working conditions of marginalized people. So what jobs are y'all uniquely qualified for that you think you'd be good at and that you would never, absolutely never do? This is well, tough. all I've done is the same shit. Kato, you have a little variety in your life. 
I mean, yeah, I could have, I could have, I could have been a freelance photographer, but absolutely, like, I'm not about, I could, I, I do not. I was never really interested in that sort of photography work. Like, you know, wedding photographer Kato was not a God. potential option. It was in theory, but no, like I, I couldn't bring myself to, um, I did it once for a friend as a wedding gift because we were all poor and that's how we did wedding gifts. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, um, I was like, I mean, I, I understand why people do it. It, pays a lot and if you're trying to be freelance and have that flexibility th- that's one of the easiest ways to secure a large amount of money in like a one fell swoop because people pay a shit ton of money for it it's very yeah. important especially if you do the video stuff these days yeah so but like i couldn't i couldn't like it was hard enough just photographing my friends the idea of doing it with like <laughs> randos and like getting cuz you have to like you have to like you know you have yes. to interact with people you have to like and like you know ha- like most of most of that wedding was like you know the bride and groom's family of whom I did not know at all um so I still had to do the like all right everyone like interacting with people to make them be like hey smile but look casual like realize i'm here but not you know the whole social aspect of it put me off it but technically i could have been that person but very quickly realized i hated being (laughs) doing that job um yeah never never yeah i um i don't know i don't know what i like the thing is i like i have always suspected that I'd either be really good at most jobs or shit at most jobs. Uh, <laughs> and not like, cause for me, the issue is kind of like, for instance, uh, I'll give you an example. Like the thing that seemed for a long time, like it would be the most, the most sensible path for me. The thing that made the most sense to me in the world would have been to like go to grad school and become like a professor or I don't know, maybe it's just a teacher, right? Yeah. Like it's a lot of, uh, a lot of like lecturing, public speaking, uh, a lot of spending time, like, studying which i really liked um you know at at the time but it was like also it it just seemed like a thing that i'd be good at i enjoyed i enjoyed tutoring uh a lot but i don't know if i would have actually been good at it because the thing i wouldn't have really enjoyed was grading papers Uh, i think this is the other thing is like seeing like my mom as a as a high school teacher in a public school that was underfunded was like and this was you know, 15, 20 years ago in Indiana, before things got really bad in public schools in Indiana, it was like, oh, this job would just break me. Like, I just wouldn't, <laughs> I just could not keep up with the workload. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I would drown. Uh, did I like, you know, would grad school have panned out? I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy. I figure out a lot of subjects, but like grad school is a different kettle of fish where it's like, you have to really learn your shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's really, really intensive. Like part of the weeding out process there is to basically like in certain disciplines, it is to like, you know, it's like intellectual boot camp in some ways where like some people are going to be like, I thought I liked this field and it turns out (laughs) I do not as much as I, or not enough to overcome the like torment of having to do this amount of work and like cover this, this amount of bases, uh, with this kind of criminally negligible pay. Uh, you know, in these in these sort of living circumstances. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, I always sort of figured that 
you know, push comes to shove, like going and being a teacher would have made sense. And I suspect I would have been good at it, but also the, in the case of like teaching public, uh, like high school, for instance, it was clearly not an appealing job, uh, to me. And in the case of like going to try to enter academia, it was clearly a one, I don't know if I can hack it. And two, like, I don't even know if it would be worth it. Uh, you know, having seen a lot of people go through grad school, it seemed like it would be really, really gnarly. And then you sort of go into an academic job market that is a real, uh, I don't know, uh, real, real crapshoot. So I think that's, that's stuff I, I like, I tend to think about, but I don't know. There, there's times I do also suspect that, uh, if I just been like, I don't know. I will just go try to find an office job at some sort of boring company. Things would have been fine and I'd be perfectly happy. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, that's, that's always, that's what, but th- those are the jobs that I just would never would have considered because like nothing about them would have appealed to me. Right. Like I remember mm-hmm. catching with a friend from college and she was a office manager at a, at a, like, you know, I think it was a like law firm in Chicago and she was like, oh, I don't care about my job but I do love what it pays and <laughs> I don't think about it at all outside the hours I'm at work. Wow. Yeah. Can't imagine. <laughs> what must that be like? Ugh. Yeah. Uh. It was, it was just like go that in, glorious. you know, f- phone it in, go out, have awesome life. And I was like, I'm pursuing my passions. Could you get this check? <laughs> uh, I don't remember what I ordered. Um, I think I just, uh, I don't know, you know, it's, I mean, you wanted the basket of fries. I just <laughs> ate some of the fries. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, I was, I was trying to think it over more. I mean, like I always wanted to have kids. Like I love hanging around kids. I don't have the 20 minute limit. Like I could sit and play with kids all day. Always have been, uh, able to do that. Like have a high tolerance. Like when I go to, this is even before I had children, but like go to the party with the kids and like, there's the big water slide. None of the adults are over there. They're all drinking. Like I've brought like my swimsuit. I'm going to go on the water slide. I'm going to go essentially be a babysitter to your kids and go play with them on that water. So like, that's always been a thing I found appealing. And now I find as my kids are getting older, like we are only going to have two. We're not planning to have uh, a third kid. It's like, okay, well like my kids, my oldest is about six turning seven, like not an adult, but you know what I mean? Like we're on a track. Like mm-hmm. my youngest, I still think of it as a baby. It's like, nah, she just literally just turned three. And it's like, you know, she's on that same track. And like, do I want to work at a daycare or run one? Like, no, no but <laughs> I wish there was a world that like I got to interact with young kids of a certain age all, all the time. Um, in a way that like, does not sound exceedingly This creepy. is me I every time I go to the dog daycare. Sure. And there's a little dog play area where like only employees are allowed because like the dogs know the employees, but like sure. they're not gonna like they will not react to just some rando entering the like playroom for the dogs. And there's times I'm like there's a lot about this job that does not seem appealing, right? Like mm-hmm. spending all day in a place filled with like little pets with their little pet smells, uh, cleaning up their little pet messes. It's same, uh, same. You could apply the same logic to yeah. like, you know, the daycare. It's but, like, do you want to wipe asses for like 12 different kids that like shit their pants that day? But like, in exchange well. for that, I get to see them like, and sometimes when I come up before they notice I'm there, I get to see them go back into the play area 
and just be like mobbed by the dogs and yeah. adored and playing yes. with all the different dogs that like I haven't gotten to meet, but I know they're in the area and Mina gets to play with them, but I don't know who they are. And I'm like, this is the one time where I'm like, it's, I don't know that I want to do this job, but I want to be around for the highlights. Yeah. Can I be, um, can I be the equivalent of like a substitute teacher? for like like oh look I'll, I'll take the bad uh, you know the things you're talking about the smells like all i i can do i can do that in low doses like kind of like occasionally just like come in and you know i could do this for a little bit and then i leave and it's not my daily life uh yeah I, i'm a similar sort of boats like and when i drop my kids off at their daycare there's like two or three kids who are like oh fuck yeah patrick's here they're like they come over and they're trying to bother me and play with me because I'm the one like cracking jokes at them, like when I'm trying to get my kids into, you know, their different stations around the around the daycare. And it's like, this rules. Like, <laughs> I, I could do this a lot. Um, but uh I probably won't. I'll probably I'll probably still be doing this, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Uh Peter from Toronto writes, Dear Waypoint, on a way on a recent ish, maybe not really, Waypoint Twitch stream. <laughs> Rob and Kato casually mentioned cleaning their coffee grinders. This led to the following stream of thoughts. Hey, I own a coffee grinder. Huh. I've never cleaned my coffee grinder. Mm. I've had a coffee grinder for two years. <laughs> oh, no. After a few minutes and helpful, a few minutes and a helpful YouTube video later, my grinder was free of detritus and grinding beans in half the time. Anyway, question. What obvious things were you blissfully unaware of for far too long? Oh, shit. This, so is, this is embarrassing. This has to have happened to me. I'm going to have to take like a minute. To I, like so the, the thing you need to understand is I didn't own a dishwasher for like 12 years. Okay. We moved to this place and uh-huh. had a dishwasher. Well, and I just sort of figured the dishwasher washed the dishes and then did like something with the detritus like just drained it or something or maybe it had some sort of like seat like special super secret garbage disposal in the base of the dishwasher that took all the little goop and and and, and garbage oh, and like no. just adios it out of the house and so i just used that dishwasher for like a year maybe more without ever like identifying the trap or how to maintain it or clean it or that this was a thing I had to do. Uh, and instead, I was just like, this dishwasher is a real piece of shit. Like, it's really not cleaning things very well anymore. It's getting a little funky in there, too. Like, dishes are starting to, like, they, they come out smelling kind of weird. Oh, oh boy. My God. Uh, and then, you know, I was like, nobody told me this, but it was, I was just like. It was like once I was curious, like what could possibly be happening with this dishwasher? You look at an object with new eyes and you sort of see what are obviously like maintenance hatches and like things you're supposed to twist. I've never opened that, huh? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're like, that is clearly meant to. That's a handle. That is a handle. There's a little like place you're supposed to like pull up on it and it releases. And so uh, that was a horse. And the dishwasher was fucked. It was old as hell. It wasn't very good, but like it did a lot better after after doing that but yeah it was just a thing where it was like we'd owned a dishwasher growing up but like even though i did most of the dishes it was my parents who did like sort of the anything that involved actually like messing with something that could be the guts of a device they mm-hmm. were going to do that right uh, and so i just didn't do that with the dishwasher and uh so i didn't have that experience that wasn't in that wasn't in the memory bank 
when I finally started using a dishwasher again. I avoided that by growing up in a household where the dishwasher was essentially a large drying rack (laughs) and basically only ever got used to put wet things in and then hold uh, things for a while when you forget that they're in there. (laughs) I've had like, I've had Asian friends swear to God that like, this is only an Asian thing. And I was like, I don't think think it's an immigrant parents thing. I think this is, I've definitely seen it across many different other like I've shared that story with other first gen people being like, oh, yeah. What's the, what's the reason? Is that they don't trust the dishwasher? Yeah. To wash it? Or pa- it's just partially. Like, okay. Right. Slash, they, right. there's also an assumption, I think, at least for my parents, there was an assumption that it would, it, it in not being targeted and being kind of this mass thing would actually use more water. Um, when, in fact, if you like, a, at least yeah. these days I've heard it's actually more efficient in you, its yeah, water you, usage. Yes. There was a whole campaign but, with, uh, was it iced tea? I think. And his, his wife, Coco, that, uh, there was like, please, please just use your dishwasher. <laughs> uh, it's using so leaving, much water, leaving the tap water on for like 20 minutes while you wash the dishes and then still put things in the dishwasher is really bad. Yeah. The only way yeah. I think you can even get close to like the efficiency is if you have the side by side sink and you can have like the two things like right. shallowly filled with water. Yes. But even there, you're still like each half of that sink is probably filled with like three or four gallons of water. Right. Right. Uh, to get a few inches of like soaking space uh, and, and rinsing space. And then, you know, you have to change out the water in the cleaning side anyway, or else you're just like cleaning dishes in dirty water so i think yeah, uh, part of it also for at least my family was definitely like there were six of us once you're getting to that many like sets yeah. of uh things our drying rack our like regular size drying rack yes. wouldn't fit everything Not and therefore the it just yes. you know it became over over um overflow and then that's just what it beca- that was what it always was like well, and also <laughs> in fairness like we have to like you know dishwashers are kind of cool when they work but like mm-hmm. They don't like if you're right. good at washing dishes, sure. if you're like you're, you're pretty fast where you can like go through a, a stack of dishes following like family dinner. And yes, it's like 30, 40 minutes to like go through all the dishes and, and clean the kitchen and all that. But at least everything's clean and you know, you know, it's clean. You, you did a good job clean. versus yeah. you open the the dishwasher and like half the shit is still dirty. And now Ugh. it's got stuff baked onto Ugh. it. You're like, no, I could. Uh, sorry, if I wanted to fuck up this, you know, my 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 flatware. Yeah, uh, I would I would just have let the children have it. <laughs> I also like washing dishes. I think we had a conversation with this with Ren at some point about all like, time podcast are, activity. What are, right. Yeah, like totally. what are like mundane uh, housekeeping tasks that you actually enjoy doing and mine was like washing the dishes so i've trained myself to not do it and you know and there's still certain things that i have to do that don't like fit in there etc but mm-hmm. like i used to just i would raise my hand i'm like you know like one of the things that were paying my wife for like cooking all the time was like i will do that you take the kids 40 minutes headphones on like let's listen to a podcast at 1.3 <laughs> Yeah, it's well, I am. I'm now involuntarily back in that world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I opened up my dishwasher the other day and things didn't look as clean as normal. And then, like, I realized that the little status light on top of the dishwasher door was like uh, waterline uh, error code 15. Isn't yours new? It is new. And that error code is a stop code for it shut off. It's uh, it shut off the water uh, because it detected a risk of like flooding. 
Hell yeah. So there's something in my water line, <laughs> oh, no. uh, but this is a, I got to get the service tax out here to yeah. deal with it. And so uh, my miraculous dishwasher is currently, it's it's all out of miracles. And now, now I'm back to doing everything and I'm back to relying on the one drying rack oh, and no. it fills up in about 30 seconds. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like, that was, like, it's, it's not the... It could hold a ton of plates if all I had to deal with was plates. But sure. it's like, but I also used this pan yeah, to make this pan. dish. Yep. Baking and it's like, sheet, whatever. Like. <laughs> sorry, no more room. Because yep. also if you overload it, there's a risk that there's sort of an avalanche of dishes oh, that like God. then yeah. break a bunch of stuff. So you can't you can't risk that. But yeah, um, it's not the worst task, but I definitely I want my dishwasher to work again yeah. um, um I, I was trying to think of my of my i mean broadly speaking when you buy a place and you are then responsible for things like <laughs> half the time when you have people like when i have folks come out to do something that i do not feel confident or is beyond my like limited expertise like asking a bunch of questions it's like what is the obvious shit that i do not know so that i could do this next time or at least like remove some of the steps in the process but the one that like fits within this uh, trajectory of just like true, just like dumbass behavior that makes way more sense in retrospect was, uh, you know, we bought, you know, a lawnmower for the the house when we got the house. And then I don't know, two years into that, like I go out to mow the lawn. Do you never drain the oil? Uh, do, do you need to deal with oil on a lawnmower, Rob? Because that never occurred to me. Um, and uh, so I went to go pull the chain and it just went, it's just locked. Just will not move, not budge. And I'm like, well, what's, what's, what's wrong? It's only two years old. I should get at least five to seven years out of a device like this. And I like, Googled it and it was like, this sounds a lot like the engine locked because it's bone dry and you didn't put any oil in it. And I was like, I didn't know that you had to do that. <laughs> like it just never, never occurred to me. I cannot claim to have like been lazy it just and it's a test that i did not my wife when i ran it by her she's like i wouldn't have thought of that either i was like well that makes me feel better at least we're both and (laughs) it occupies different space in your head than you're like your car where you're like car need i put gas in it that was my thought i have the lawnmower i put gas in it and of course as soon as i thought about it i was like oh right there's the thing you take off and then like you can check the i'm like I get it. Like I've right. seen it before. I know the ver- the visual well, again, language. Once you it. examine the object, you're like, wait, there's like a little rubber gasket and yeah. a button next. What does to that it. do? Yeah, I've never. What What's that for? Yeah, no. For uh, uh, I think the even more insidious one is the snowblower because you never exactly know when you're going to be done with your snowblower because you know you get the freak midwestern blizzard like in yep. April sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh, so you just forget that you have to do a whole like put away the snowblower thing for the season and like drain it and all that stuff. You drain it or get the mixture that you, you know, put in the gas so that it maintains if you're going to like keep it out in the cold. Right. I finally did that this year. It was like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't drain it. I waited too long, uh, but I bought the stuff. Cause every to, couple like, years, my dad and I would have the, Oh man, it's really coming down. Good thing. We got a snowblower that we haven't thought about in nine months. <laughs> Hope Let's it turns check. on. <laughs> By the way, if it turns on, my dad's using the snowblower to do the driveway. If it doesn't turn on, I'm shoveling the driveway. <laughs> like that's that's how that works, right? Snowblower work, dad job. Uh, snowblower not work, Robbie job. Uh, at least it, I felt a little bit better when 
we went to the, you know, like Home Depot to buy. Well, like we went there to buy another one and asked, is there anything we can do? They're like, no. Like if, if the motor has locked up because of lack of oil, like it's just whatever you could do to repair it would make no sense. And you should just buy another one. Uh, but they laughed. They're like, it is 100% the most common reason someone comes in to buy another one after. The oh, they love that they're shit. Like, I'm sure. <laughs> they're, like, they're, they're just laughing. They're like, You're, you are not the first. You will not be the last. That is like. The homeowner 101 it's 100% where like Toro's profits come from yes is that's like, the one we bought <laughs> we're going to sell them one and then we're going to sell them four more yep yep uh, yeah. alright our next one comes from Crouton uh, spelled with uh, K uh, hi there waypointalists if you had the cursed basketball from Space Jam and could steal anybody's talent whose would you steal and why for the sake of this question we are assuming the basketball steals their greatest talent and not specifically their skill at basketball huh whose talent you want so is this we had a question in the past that was if you could go into the box and acquire knowledge yeah, knowledge yeah so I'm just trying to figure how do we differentiate this from this is the thing, right? Because like my answer here would be I would whip that basketball at Vinny uh, <laughs> because it's <gasps> like Vinny had like it's it, like it, there's a part of me that still would be like, no, I would want to use the cursed basketball uh, to like take uh, like, you know, Edwin Diaz's talent or something. So I so I too could be like an elite level closer uh, in baseball. Cause like, that sounds like the coolest fucking job in, in history. Like the idea of like, it's a job where like you come out in the high leverage situations, you're a fucking badass. You're an absolute killer at this job. And then most of the time you're just hanging out with your coworkers at the water cooler and just like watching baseball and shooting the shit. Absolutely. Best job and best job in sports. I think I would hundred percent like, give me that, give me that job. But the basketball can't make me, you know, 25 years old. The basketball, I can steal the <laughs> talent. But what good is that talent now at uh-huh. my age? Yeah. But mm. what I would love to have is access to the sort of like the know-how that Vinny has. Because that would like touch every aspect of my life as it's currently constructed, right? It's all the things where it's like the little places of friction around like, for instance, it would be way easier to say, oh, I'm just going to crack open that PC and see what's going on in there. Cause like, I just sort of understand how all this is all going to fit together. I sort of internalize the, the troubleshooting that, for this. Is that talent though, or knowledge? So there's talent, but I, I think there is talent. There's knowledge, right? I think, I think like, I think there's a lot of people who have like training and knowledge the way Vinny does, but I also feel like intuition you know, is Vinny talent, has an right? intuition and a, and a mm, knack right? for this that like is uncommon. Yeah, can I use the basketball to take uh, Vinny Caravella's ability to play an open world game and find their own fun without a directive? Because sure. that is that is a talent. That is like, 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 I can't teach that to myself. I'm just bad at it. I can watch the way I play Sleeping Dogs, the way Vinny plays Sleeping Dogs. Different people, different people. I, and he's having so much fun. And I do like that game, but we're just on different tracks. And so I think intuition is like a, a decent descriptor for what is the the what Rob is describing. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. you're right. You can't just get raw knowledge, but there is, there are just certain people like, like sense of direction, right? Like sense of direction is a skill. Yeah, it is yeah. not like you can like know where things are, but like my dad salesperson, like had a sense of just like, where are you? How do we get to a place? Like, hey, like it's like, 
How do you? Wow. I... <laughs> I wish I could draw. I don't like art. Yeah. Like more, more broadly. Like, I guess it went broad to be art. If I got more specific, it was, I can't play. I've tried to like learn how to play guitar, piano. I cannot draw for shit. And that stuff is just so beyond me. And I would think it would be exceptionally cool to know how to do those things. And so like you could have an, an instance in which it's like you I mean I could follow c- classes on how to like draw, but like that's to have any talent to do it well is something altogether uh, different. Um and I, I think that investment. would be <laughs> Yeah, I guess, but like, you know, you can rote learn how to do like I wrote learned how to play guitar. It didn't stick. It was it was clearly me just bashing my head against a wall. And maybe if it had done more and more, maybe you you could find whatever that barrier was to climb over. But I preferred the cheat code and just natch like I, like one for example is um, I have a buddy of mine who uh, he barely even has to teach himself a new instrument. Like he just understands music on some sort of foundational yep. intuitional level that well, like you'll hand him a new instrument and just. Give him a couple hours and like, do, 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 like, you know what I mean? Like may not be a virtuoso, but there's just something about them that just is able to see the world and these devices, you know, instruments in, in a way. And so I, I want that. <laughs> I think that sounds awesome. <sighs> I'm like, can't think of like a specific person, but I would like to be better at, at languages. Because I'm like, I mean, I'm already semi-bilingual. <laughs> I say this because my vocabulary in Spanish is fucking horrid. But, um... But I think that's also, like, music, a, like, you can memorize... There's memorizing things and then just being, like, understanding languages. Right. Like, more naturally. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's what that's what it would be. It's like, can I get a better memory? But, like, <laughs> it, it it's always been, like, this thing where I'm on the on the, like... I can I can struggle through if it's in a romance language I'm like I can struggle through most of that like for like you know traveling purposes anything outside of that though I've tried and it's just like it's very very difficult um but I do know that there's people who like pick it up much easier and I'd be like I want one of those people's that <laughs> that talent seems useful and mm-hmm. and fun to have but um yeah That'd very, be a good very, one. Pra- very practical uh, talents we're stealing here. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. I mean, it's the like. Ultimately, it's one of those things where it's like I don't want uh, like I don't need the basketball to like give me a new life, right? Like I'm not, I'm not sure. like yeah. oh man, I wish uh, if only I could steal someone's talent and I could like finally get out of this dog shit life and live someone else's. That's not where I'm at, right? Uh, and so it'd be more like yeah, I like largely where things are at, but what are the things that could augment it? And like yeah, make totally. it uh, easier or richer in some way. And so that's that, you know, that's that's where I'm gravitating towards. Now, you know, you asked me this question 15, 20 years ago. Hell yes, I'm like stealing an athlete's uh, talent, <laughs> right? Like, absolutely, that is happening. Uh, or I'm stealing like the talent of like the smartest kid in a program and being like, now I am going to grad school. I'm going to fucking dominate it. Uh, 
now I now I know I have it on lock, except you don't know if you have it on lock until you go. It's a crucible. <laughs> you just don't know who you are until you face it. But I don't recommend it. Uh, last question here. Brian asks, uh, inspired by Patrick's question on what Jake Solomon would design next if given all green lights. I think we've sort of seen it as well as Rob's review of Pentiment, a game set in an uncommon setting for games. I wanted to ask you all what you wish existed outside of the garbage world of what a corporation would actually green light obscure settings, weird control choices, no limitations on style or budget, just a game you think would be nice to have exist. Personally, I would love to see a tactics game slash visual novel set around the Battle of Blair Mountain. What's the Battle, the battle? Yeah. I think that's the, that's the uh, mining town battle. Like, literally, a, basically a shooting war erupting between uh, striking miners and the company and their, uh, <laughs> to use a term from Justified, their gun thugs uh, that they <laughs> brought in. Uh, I, I think this is basically the uh what uh John Sales is uh Madawan is about. Uh but yeah, it's it like it's it, it's a it's a wild thing because it like legitimately is like a full on like paramilitary conflict uh erupting over a labor dispute. Hmm It's always difficult to come up with these like out of thin air. I mean, the one that like com- like comes to mind immediately was like when we did the Whip at 101 on the thing. Like I would love like there's no reason for someone to make a hundred million dollar update of that game. But like there's so many cool things happening <laughs> in it. I wish a hundred million dollar version of the thing. Yeah. Like taking all of its, it's like conceptual ideas of team dynamics and, and, and world dynamics. I want that game to exist. It won't, it shouldn't, but it should in my dreams. It can <laughs> chat GPT, make hundred million dollar. The thing is that can the AI make that for me, but make it good. Make it work this time. Yeah. Fix the code. Uh. Let me get through the fire. Like, can you, can I upload uh, the, the thing ISO to, to its, to its code and it can go in and make it so I can get through the fire without cheating. I don't, I don't know. Rob, is there, I guess just a- given their, given their suggestion, is there a historical setting that you really like that? Like the yeah, idea I mean- of like the, the, like, like a stri- strikers going like coal miners against the you know the company <laughs> thugs is a really wild setup. Um, I, you know I, I can imagine different <laughs> different ones like that. I don't know. I mean, like my go to is like kind of places that are fascinating, complicated, and to an extent kind of lost to us, and it would tread on like a lot of sensitivities. Uh, and and such, but like I've always sort of been fascinated by like the setting of like Ireland in the nineteen like seventies uh, as the troubles are getting rolling, where you have a uh, sort of a powder keg going off and a really complicated uh, you know both political landscape and then generally like physical landscape, like you know like Ireland becomes a place where there's effectively entirely different worlds, uh, you know, living cheek by jowl 
uh, in a way that's almost like, um, oh God, what's the uh, China Mieville, uh novel, uh, The City and the City? Um, but like it, th- this whole notion of like, there's just different realities that are uh, like, you know, almost overlaid on top of each other has always kind of interested me. I think in a similar vein, the, the idea of like divided places, divided communities, uh, you know, cold war Berlin, almost any, any point, you know, you can pick a year out of a hat. And I think it's just a, a fascinating dynamics uh, setting that would have been, that would be really cool to see some kind of game in. Uh, although like the problem is I think the nature of open world games is they don't, they become like, Disneyland park tours of a setting, but like mm-hmm. you still, you still stop short of actually feeling like you're there, that it, that it's like real in some ways. Right. It's just more like you go through a painted set and then you go like, you know, talk to somebody and it doesn't, I don't know. They, they struggle to make that stuff feel as vivid as say like Pentiment does uh, where like, you know, it takes, it takes a really small space and just by having you make your rounds day by day, it becomes very, uh, very real to you, uh, very concrete. I feel like if you're thinking about it more as like, just like what historical period I feel like could be interesting. Honestly, the like, you know, South American, like rate, like the, the, the time where Bolivar was going around and like starting shit, you know, getting all the countries to rebel against the, the Spanish crown is a thing that I feel like, I feel like it could make sense, right? Like in a lot of these, especially open world structures that just never gets, I don't know, never has never gotten the focus yet. So that might be cool. Might be, I say, because, you know, depending on the point of view of the people making it, you can get uh, seriously different uh, sort of uh, takes on the, the, those revolutions and the, 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 the governments that existed afterwards. So, uh, you know, or, or how about we go even deeper and get into the CIA's like general just fucking about in South America shit? Uh, what if we can play as you know fucking Sandinistas and shit? I don't know. Something I feel like it, it doesn't get. It's like I don't know, maybe too real for people to talk about, which is yeah. funny. <laughs> as far as like, because they like you know they've made war games about fucking the Middle East and shit, and it's always bad, but. They some they for some reason stay away from South America in that era, I guess because it's I don't know more revolutionary leaning than the era of like oh it's it's us against the narcos or whatever <laughs> like uh, well, which I is the thing like that you're... that's that's the only thing you kind of see honestly in in that setting. Well, and you're like ripped from the headlines. War game can always sort of play a game is like. This isn't political, really. It's about like soldiers in the heat of combat. And to an right. extent, like you can sort of say, like, ah, you've delimited the scope of this to like, you're just a guy and you find yourself in the middle of this mi- Middle Eastern country. Who knows how you got there? But like, holy shit, your position's being overrun. Get on that gun. And like, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the whole game. But the minute you are like, you introduce sort of the quieter moments, right? The whole like, okay, now it is. Actually, you see a country before the CIA like <laughs> launches a coup and you sort of see everything unfold. Yeah. Now it's like, ooh, this feels icky. And it, it probably does feel ickier, right? Because like 
soldier being like rushed by whatever the cause like soldier in combat being rushed by people it's like okay to an extent like everyone's in a fight for their lives in the scenario it's like i guess it's you know video game fodder at that point right wrestling with the context for violence like that <laughs> yeah suddenly it's like no like think about this like and then it's like if you do that <laughs> yeah, for the, i want, the war I want game them in the to think East, about it's like, this <laughs> is this like well is this soldier the good guy uh he may not be the bad guy maybe he's just a dupe but like what he is there to do the army is not the good guy uh in this and yeah you take it to south america and boy it will get it'll get pretty grim uh pretty pretty fast <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think that will that will do it for for today's show. Uh, if you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, Facebook and YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Uh, Kato, where can people follow you? At A underscore Kato underscore appears. Patrick. At Patrick Lovick. You can also check out what we published on waypoint.vice.com. And hey, thanks to Waypoint Plus, we've been able to have a bunch of fun streams. You can check out Patrick uh, going back to Breath of the Wild. You can check out Patrick uh, just absolutely rinsing me in MLB The Show. <laughs> and you can check out uh, Kyle and I absolutely probably rinsing uh, one of our drivers in <laughs> Motorsport Manager. Who will make it? Uh, who could say? Yeah, who, who, there, can only, there can only be one. Uh, which driver will we choose to manage uh, effectively in our next Motorsport Manager stream, uh, which might be up as you are getting uh, to this podcast or might already be a VOD on twitch.tv slash Waypoint. Uh, for our Waypoint Plus listeners, uh, Patrick and I just recorded an episode on the opening of the baseball season with uh, Jason Kebler talking about is the designated hitter real? Is it a is it a good rule? Is it terrible? Boo, talking about rule, uh, just the overall rule. changes that have swept through baseball. Uh, <laughs> really, really fun episode, and uh, it'll hit the main feed I think over the weekend. If that sounds good, or you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. Our theme music is by <laughs> Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. For now, we're calling time on this week. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. And that's why we took that merch website offline. Because we were like, we haven't fucked capitalism in a while. No mention of so zeal now, this boom. time. <laughs> Nobody can have zeal today. <laughs> zeal isn't something you can buy, Kato. <laughs> That's just a lie. Capitalism tells you, but the minute that merch store is back up, uh, you know, go check it out. But at the moment, I don't know. I don't know. Talk to you next week. Wow, that Shazam movie came out two weeks ago and it's it's gonna be on video on demand tomorrow. <laughs> oh no. Good for me though. Is this a, the sequel? Yeah. The squeakle? You said Shazam, and for a second I was like, the Shack movie? No, that's <laughs> yeah. what was that one? Kazam uh, Kazam, right? No. Mm, maybe. Yeah, Kazam with a K. Yeah. Definitely saw that movie when I was a kid. Yep.
<laughs> well, but, oh no, maybe I didn't see this one. What's the one where he's the superhero though? He's he's big ste- steel steel steel, right? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right here. I don't think I've seen that. I haven't even heard of that. Heroes don't come any bigger. Oh my god. What is this? Oh, he's much yeah. younger in that one. That must have been early. This no, is... wait. Kazam was... Why does he look so much younger in this poster? Kazam happened before Steel. Yeah, I mean, this was like all during the era of can yeah. Shaq make the Hollywood transition? Yeah. It turns out, no. No. no I mean, no, he was, he can't. it was funny. It was funny to watch, but... <laughs> We've got to be in the right thing. Yeah. But like you can't. Yeah. You can't carry a movie. <laughs> what other films have you been? I need to. I need to rewatch Kazan someday because I remember enjoying that as a child. Look, I'm really curious. Got How well the, it? Yeah. My turn can be whatever. Oh my god. You want it to be. <laughs> and at some point, we need to get off this. We're watching real movies. Like Rob got us close, right? Like right. White House Down. Yeah. Stepping up to the line, but like someone could jump over it, right? Right, and it could I be had to, making us. I watch unfortunately Kazam. had to bring us back, but <laughs> it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But don't worry, there's a that can be. Uh... Look, I'm I'm putting us in. I'm putting there's a. I'm, I've moved us closer to the line again. Manny just by opens the fact, up a lot, yeah, because like, we got Nick you, Cage in there. Nick Cage, like, <laughs> like there's a lot of directions you can go from Mandy. Ah. Uh, I'm curious about Renfield. I just saw um, Bram. He has tried to downplay how much he's in the movie. Uh-huh. Um, Interesting. And also, I think the trailers have looked bad. Nah. I've, like, I've I would just... watch a movie that is Nick Cage being Dracula. Yeah. But by all accounts, this movie is not that. It's well, about yeah, it's what about the title Renf- says, Renfield. which is yeah, his yeah, assistant. But, like, I don't... What's his face? Well, not the movie I want to watch. Sure. I like just watched <clears throat> Bram Stoker's Dracula for the first time like three weeks ago. I've never seen it. Or I don't remember it. It's good. <laughs> it's a great film. Fucking wild visuals. That's the one with Keanu Reeves in that one too, right? Yeah, he plays Renfield in that in that mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it. Uh Kato, I am it looks to me like I might be clipping. Yeah, you sounded a little boosted. Yeah, not. I did. I didn't. I did horribly. bring you down. It 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 didn't sound bad enough to be actually clipping on through yeah, Discord at least. Yeah, it looked but, to me like it was it was clipping a bit. So I turned myself down. Okay. Uh, still sound okay. Yes. Yes. All you right. sound a little more regular now. Um, just, let's uh, do a quick three, two, one clap. So uh, we know when we came back in. Three, two, one. All right. <laughs>